welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Rick Sweet. This is the 395th show of ROI, and our guest for today's show is Sharon Andreessen, Volunteer Coordinator of the Forest Grove School Number no. 5 Rehabilitation Project, who is going to talk with us about the Forest Grove School Number no. 5. The history buff for today's show is, as always, Ed Broders. The show theme song is Kayla's Thing, written and performed by Martin Zappadapel, and our esteemed producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Uh, this is the opening segment of the show called History is Local. And today we'll be talking about Forest Grove School Number no. 5 with Sharon Andresen, Volunteer Coordinator of the Forest School, Grove School Number no. 5 Rehabilitation Project. Welcome to our show, Sharon. Well, thank you. Can you give our listeners a little background on how the Forest Grove School came to be, location, all the above, the information that you choose to share? Of course. Forest Grove School Number no. 5 uh, is one of five Pleasant Valley Township schools, old one-room schoolhouses in uh, the Bettendorf area. And uh, Forest Grove School Number no. 5 was built in 1873, and it remained in use until 1957. Uh, if you're out and about uh, and would like to stop by for a visit, uh, we're just off of um, Interstate 80 on Middle Road, and then you go east on Forest Grove Drive, uh, just a little over a mile, and we're on the left, uh, kind of just out in the wide open spaces. Uh, Sharon, I I was uh, uh, I drove back and forth uh, past your school over the years and watched it slowly deteriorate, and all of a sudden. I noticed that there was a group of people who were were uh, painting and lumbering and nailing and whatever. Uh, how did the project come around to save what, uh, if if I remember correctly, was a seriously dilapidated building before you started? Yeah, that's correct. Um, according to Bill Sherman in Des Moines, who's an authority on one-room schools, it's the most aggressive rehabilitation project ever undertaken on a one-room school. So we're very proud of that. Um, I I was kind of just looking for a project. Uh, I had retired from working. My husband still had a number of years to go. Um, and I was just kind of looking for a project. And I used to live out in that general area and then had moved away and moved back into the Bettendorf uh, city and then, you know, was out visiting a friend of mine out in that neighborhood and I was shocked at over 20 years how, how further deteriorated it had become. So uh, I inquired of a, an old neighbor of mine, you know, about who owned the property and he directed me to the Blunk family. Um, and the Blunks, you know, live in the farmhouse just adjacent to that property and on a century farm. Um, and the schoolhouse became part of their property when it closed. And that was common in the state of Iowa that when these one-room schools closed, they became the property of the farmer owning the adjacent land. 
So I reached out to, uh, I guess, what I knew was the third generation uh, of Blunks, and uh, one of those siblings had said, "Well, let me let me talk to my uh, brother, uh, brothers and sister, and see what they think." Um, and you know, it all kind of rolled out from there. Once they came on board and said, "Yes, you know, we would appreciate your help. We think you could help us." Uh, let's move forward with this project. So that's kind of how I got involved in it. Well, I'd like to say that with uh, Mr. Sherman's claim about putting more money into the one-room schoolhouse, I slightly beg to differ because I was on our farm outside of Davenport, and my brothers were born in a one-room schoolhouse. And my brother actually bought it and tried to live in it. And when he tried to rehab it like you guys are, it was a money pit beyond belief. So um, yeah. I think he probably could compete with you guys for the most. But I must admit, let's talk about that because I, I grew up uh, on our farm in a one-room schoolhouse, Bluegrass Number 8. So did my brothers. People don't understand the architecture of the buildings or even the cost that it was to maintain them back then. And I think, I think ours ended in 57, too, where they consolidated – they consolidated all the schools and they pushed the in Davenport and they pushed the one rooms out. Um, what is the structural challenge, the greatest structural challenge for you guys to um, rehab this building? Well, I would say that came at the very beginning. Um, our building was had had rotting foundation. In fact, you could wow. you could stand on one side and look through to the other side on the foundation. Um, There were really only four corners, crumbling corners that were left. And, you know, I'm not a large person. I could have gone and kicked in any corner and probably sent the whole thing into the basement. Um, So I think for us, the most precarious time was when we hired um, a group from Washington, Iowa, to come over and they built cribbing under it and then they put beams uh, across those that cribbing and just inch by inch literally jacked it up one corner at a time and went around and around and around that building until they had that off of the old foundation and secured um, that that was the biggest nail biter I'm guessing that foundation was lime wasn't it it was block it was a block really? foundation. Yeah, oh, and really? we know that in 1949, uh, they they apparently raised that one other time oh. and put a block foundation and a basement gotcha. under it. Right. It yeah. was not the original foundation. Mm-hmm. Sharon, when you, uh, I mean, that's, that's a, <laughs> it's not a, uh, uh, a pretty thing. No one's going to come up and say, what a gorgeous foundation. Uh, this had John alluded to. John alluded to this, that this had to have been uh, uh, a money pit. How did you go about securing funding uh, for what had to have been a a pretty expensive uh, proposition to rehab this school? Sure. We, you know, we kind of bit it off a little piece at a time. You know, I think if we'd have known what that looked like from the beginning, 
I'm sure it would have been completely overwhelming. But to get us yeah. get us off and running, um, a local friend of the Blunt family had told us, kind of kind of gave us a challenge. If you can raise the money to get this lifted off the old foundation, I will build you a new foundation. I will donate that. Um, and, you know, there's nothing I love more than a good challenge. Uh, so <laughs> we drafted a letter, and the Blunt family members and myself, we sent that letter out to personal friends, um, close-by neighborhoods, um, just did a large mailing and said, you know, we – We've done a lot of things that have supported other projects in the community, and we're asking you, our friends, our neighbors, to support this. And it, it was really a very short period of time. I would say within a month, we had the $20,000 that we were being charged to lift that off the foundation. So, you know, and then each each winter, you know, we would get together as a board. We're, we're a nonprofit corporation, so we have a board. And we would get together each winter and kind of outline, okay, here's what we want to tackle this next season. We would raise the money, and when spring came, we would spend it. And, you know, we would spend it all the way down into the fall. And then the next winter, we'd set new goals. We'd go out for raising more funds, you know, so we, we bid it off a little piece at a time. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, John, you have one last are, question before we break? Yeah, I was going to sit there and say it. So uh, for the people that were striving to accomplish this, how many people, five, ten, or is it a foundation uh, that's, I mean, exactly to do something like this is, is almost an uphill battle. So how many people are in this nucleus of getting this uh, project uh, refurnished? Well, you know, we have over 500 donors at this point, and they come from all over the country, which is just mind-boggling to me. Um, and then uh, people who worked hands-on, I'd say, you know, we had a strong group of five or six. Um, and we could extend that all the way to maybe, you know, 10 or 12 if you add in the people who would come by occasionally and grab a paintbrush to help me. <laughs> great, great. Well, we have a lot more to talk about, so please stay, stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In times of joy in moments of grief. Broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Rick Sweet. This is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Sharon Andreessen. Volunteer Coordinator of the Forest Grove School Number no. 5 Rehabilitation Project, 
and we were talking with her about the Forest Grove School Number 5. Our history buff for today's show is Ed Broders. Ed, uh, as somebody who is familiar with old schools, won't uh, you uh, get the first question? Thanks, Rick. Um, and I actually missed going to a two-room school by about uh, three years, um, or maybe less. But anyway, um, uh, Sharon, can you tell us, if we go to the site today and we walk around the schoolhouse and go through it, of what we see, what's original? Now, we know, we know the, foundation's been, the foundation's been replaced twice, um, but, but what's original? So, you know, a lot of what's original you can't see. The, the bones of the building are original. Certainly the stories that go with the building are original, and we've had the pleasure of uh, meeting a lot of students and teachers uh, and have recorded their stories. Uh, so in the future, we'll have a film uh, that plays there in the schoolhouse in the very near future, in fact, um, with their voices, which will be original. Um, a lot of the exterior is original. Uh, we carefully took trim and moldings down piece by piece, and I rehabbed all of those pieces, um, cleaned them, repaired them, primed them, painted them. Uh, put them back up, painted them again. Uh, so a lot of that is original. Unfortunately, you know, the windows were completely gone. We have one example of a sash inside the building, uh, and we use that piece uh, along with photographs to have exact replicas made of those windows. Um, we had one little piece of a mutton bar that we took to this same builder and said, make this. Uh, so even down to that little detail um, is an original replica. Um, same with the front door. You know, the only thing that was left of the front door was um, the, the rail that had the hinge on it. And we could take that to these people, and they built us an exact door uh, based on photos and, and the remnants that we had. Um, all the siding on the west side is original, and that was amazing to us that the siding on the east was so much worse than the siding on the west. Uh, but again, um, you know, a lot of people said, "Oh, you'll never be able to sell, salvage that." Uh, but you know, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a challenge junkie, and so <laughs> I I went about you know cleaning it, lightly sanding it, doing the repairs. And then, um, you know, priming, painting. So all of that on the west side is original, and probably at least half of the siding on the north is original. The window sills are original, and, and they're amazing. That is one of my favorite elements. Sharon, uh, what kind of those of us who aren't, aren't uh, familiar with, with ancient buildings, what is a mutton bar? Oh, it's the, you know, the little, uh, the little thing that divides the window into sections. Oh, okay, okay. All right. Yeah, it's well, decorative. Aware of that. It's decorative. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. John? So our windows are nine over nines. There's nine little sections of, of glass in the bottom and nine in the top of the window. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, ask you this question, Sharon. So um, this obviously is a project uh, for the ages. Um, are the other 
one-room schoolhouses that are existing in Bettendorf, um, and you might not know of their condition, but I am curious. How are they, um, are they being upheld and, and kept uh, in good shape? I mean, I'm going to ask Ed about this. I, don't, I think the only one in Davenport is the one on the in Mississippi Valley Fairgrounds. Are the other ones uh, being kept up as well? To my knowledge, you know, some of them have even been converted into homes. And I know right. that there are a couple within Pleasant Valley Township um, that, that have been converted to homes. Uh, you know, I really, I can't speak to a lot of the others in, in Scott County in general. I know there's also one out at Scott County Park. Um, yeah. You know, within yeah. Davenport, I'm familiar with the one at the fairgrounds. And I believe that there's one on West Kimberly Road, too. That's that, is a ha- of- that is one that's a house, yes, because I grew up not far from there, yes. And that's, so, uh, I think that's served several different purposes. Yeah, and there's one out, there's one out on Propsty Road that has also been converted to a house. As I said, the one on my dad's farm was, uh, my grandfather converted, converted it into a uh, uh, house uh, that we grew up in and that my grandparents grew up in, and then my brother bought, and when we had that massive windstorm, it pretty much um, condemned it, so mm-hmm. he had to level it and build a new house because the cost to try and salvage it again was just astronomical. Ed, do you know of any other ones in the, uh, out in the, the Scott County area? Um, actually I do, John. Um, there is one on the Scott, um, Scott County, Muscatine County line about, Oh yeah. Um, three miles South of Walcott. It's, um, not a very big one, but that was converted into a residence a long time ago. And I know of um, one in Fulton Township that was also converted to a residence, and it's not all that big. But the one I made reference to before, uh, the two-room schoolhouse, um, is, was a WPA project in the 30s. Um, and it was a big deal because, like I say, it was a two-room schoolhouse, but that's still standing, and that, that's been a residence for as long as I can remember, at least the early 60s. Um, Rick, were there any down in Ottumwa where you grew up? Were there in the same proximity, same setup? No, the only ones I'm familiar with is the one that uh, my mother-in-law went to in eastern uh, Nebraska. And uh, uh, that actually was towed to the, uh, uh, to the Plainsman Museum uh, in uh, west of Lincoln. And my mother-in-law actually walked into it and she recognized it as a school she uh, taught in in the uh, the 30s and 40s. So uh, I don't know anything about Iowa, but I can sure point out a few in Nebraska. Uh, so Sharon asking me this question, with the schoolhouse, uh, when I told you that I grew up one, and in my grandparents and in my parents' basement, they actually had the old desk still around. And they still had some of the items from the school. Did you guys find any of those, or was it pretty gutted when you took it over? Actually, the schoolhouse was full of a lot of trash, uh, both in the basement oh, yeah. and up in the classroom. Um, it, it, it was just a place where things were discarded, and really everything was gone. We found one little uh, glass inkwell out under the swing set, um, sometime after we had emptied the basement of all the refuse 
And we were just out there having a conversation, uh, Barb Blunk and I were, and she happened to tap something with her toe and looked down and kicked this little inkwell out of the dirt. So uh, we we assume that's original. (laughs) Yeah. Is there anybody in the community that has any knowledge of, like, some of the old desk and materials, or is that just, that's a dead-end road that's not going to be opened? You know, we we put out an appeal for that both in the newspaper and, you know, in a, in a number of ways. We kind of put the word out there that we were looking for anything original to the building. And one woman uh, who lives just within a half a mile of the school brought us this ancient-looking table uh, that she said was original to the school. So we use that to display some of our other artifacts. Um, and then we, uh, we also have one school desk that is said to be original to the school. All the rest has been all donated. Uh, but we do have some really interesting things in the schoolhouse that were donated by others uh, that we know were there from old photos. Uh, so we, we feel very fortunate to have a lot of the things that we do have inside the schoolhouse. Sharon, when uh, when you uh, you mentioned in the first segment that you had 500 donors uh, and that you've set up a um, uh, interactive or a, a uh, uh, an item there in 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 the schoolhouse that you've talked with people who went to school there. How did you go about finding uh, those past students? And can you give us the most interesting story that you heard from one of those past students? Wow. So uh, the very first thing that we did before we started raising money or anything, we had a coffee at my house. And because the Blunks lived right there and knew all of those neighbors, they knew who to reach out to who would know uh, people who went to school there. And in fact, a couple of the Blunks, you know, themselves went there. So we started with that and we ended up with six people. And I guess one of the most fascinating, endearing people that I met through that was a woman, um, she died at the age of 102, and she was sharp as a tack, and her name was Alberta, um, Alberta Young was her maiden name, Woods was her married name, and she was feisty, and she was a tomboy when she was younger, Um, so she told us a lot of stories and one of the most fascinating things that she could remember about the school was the color of the paint in the 1920s. And of course we restored the schoolhouse to that period of time. So it was important for us to capture as much detail from Alberta as we could. And I said to her son who goes to my church, how does she remember exactly that color because she didn't even hesitate when she told us it was a dirty yellow and he said you know her dad was the painter he said that would have been a detail she would have remembered so uh we went inside and we looked and we looked at some of the old plaster and sure enough there it was so uh we kept a bunch of those pieces uh just to prove that yes this was the color in the 1920s wow yeah Sharon, can you tell us uh, if you had to um, deal with uh, historic preservation, like ordinances for uh, this property is in the Bettendorf city limits. And, you know, Davenport's got quite an extensive list of, you know, historic renovation requirements that have to. Rock Island does too. 
Um, so did you have to um, figure that out um, when you restored the school? Actually, we are outside of Bettendorf City Limits. Oh. We are actually on county property. Um, so, no, we did not have near as much uh, hoop jumping to do in that regard. Um, and because we, we are on the National Register of Historic Places, uh, that makes you exempt from a number of things. Um, um, for instance, uh, we didn't have to put electricity in it. Uh, we, you know, we, there are a lot of code things that we didn't have to abide by because um, that status kind of trumps some of those current rules and, uh, gave us a lot more flexibility to put it back the way it was in the 1920s, uh, without having to compromise the integrity, the historic integrity, I would say. Okay. Karen, how much did what was the total tab when you figured when you summed up all the ledgers, what was the total cost from uh when you looked at it and said, Let's rebuild this to where you opened it up for the community to view your work? What was the, the cost? Well, we know that we're somewhere north of two hundred and fifty thousand. So it was a lot of money. But uh <laughs> You know, when we started, we estimated around a hundred thousand. Whoa! Um, It is customary for us to give uh, our guests some of the last words on our show. Sharon, why do you think knowing about Forest Grove School Number Five is relevant in our world today? Well, I just think it's a great piece of history. You know, the whole time I've called this a, you know, a historic treasure. It's a local historic treasure. And and I think it's good, you know, for us to compare and contrast, you know, how how children were taught then and how children are taught now. You know, there are a lot of similarities, especially here during COVID, you know, where kids are learning at home right alongside their siblings, just like they were in the school, in the one-room school. Uh, but then, of course, you know, there's there's just vast differences as well, you know, that we're doing online learning versus everything hands-on in the classroom. Um, you know, it's it, I think it's just important to be able to look back at that history and to be able to walk into that history and feel the differences. Great. Well, when we come back, we'll wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI, K-A-L-A, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2.
This concludes the 395th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. And my name is Rick Sweet. We would like to thank our guests, Sharon Andreessen, volunteer coordinator of the Forest Grove School Number no. 5 Rehabilitation Project, who talked with us about the Forest Grove School Number no. 5. The history buff for today's show was Ed Broders. This is ROI Relevant or Irrelevant on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Kotso Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.